Welcome to the Better Future podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is... Kirsten Mann. I'm Global VP of Product Experience for Oracle's Construction and Engineering Global Business Unit. This podcast series is a special series where we focus on design in the boardroom. It's a series of infield recordings and live panels with design giants from around the world, and we discuss how boards are leveraging design to accelerate economic outcomes. In other words, how is design being managed up, down, and across the organisation? In this episode, Mark and Nadam explore how PwC is taking on experience design to accelerate client outcomes. The focus is on helping to provide an express elevator, not just stairs, to drive acceleration, capacity building and delight. I'm Nadim Bellalaum. Uh, I'm a UX and service designer at the PwC Experience Centre. Listeners, here we are in a Palais d'Experience here in, uh, in Paris. It is, it, I, I've never been in a, in a palace for experience design, but PwC have made that. Uh, apparently it's only been open here for a couple of weeks, so absolute yeah. pleasure to be here. It, it, it's been here for a month, so you're among one of the first ones to come over, except the PwC internal team, so. So <laughs> naturally, uh, PwC would be a little bit cautious about what photos I take. Hopefully they've got some photos that <laughs> they, they can share, but the chandeliers. Now, I never thought I would have said that. The chandeliers <laughs> here are something, <laughs> something to just be in awe of. That's what happens when you come to France, then suddenly it becomes uh, over and over and over with the chandelier. And so that, and, and then here we are, we're sitting in, there's a, there's a tech lab that they've got here and I'm seeing that there's half a dozen drones on the wall, there's uh, VR goggles, there's LED light panels, there's more post-it notes than you can poke a stick at. But what's interesting is you've got this juxtaposition between to now and tomorrow. Yes in yesterday and so I think that's a really interesting metaphor for what's happening here in Paris because the Paris scene is really bubbling there's a there's a move to to work out how does how does the French economy accelerate into tomorrow but then there's also a lot of challenges because over the last uh, at least 50 years if not 200 years that the French economy has created some very complex economic situations yep. and that, that means that some of those are being unravelled, some people are being left behind, that's resulting in the yellow shirts process or protests, which means that they then have to work out how do they include those people into the future because you can't have a organised future if you have people who are rioting because they've been left behind. And that's one of the key questions of uh, our uh, uh, current period in France. It's how you, do you include all the people that are left over, that are forgotten from the whole digital revolution. And in France, actually, we have a lot of people that are still outside of the digital revolution that are still not able to access to the internet. And we sometimes tend to forget them. And it's our role also as designers to bring them back in the discussion. And while I've been on this tour and recording the podcast, I've had the pleasure of talking to people who are involved with 100% of the marketplace design. Um, Andrew Mead from uh, the uh, Hong Kong MTR. And Andrew designs trains, train networks. And train networks are really interesting because the poorest, lowest literacy member of your community needs to be able to ride the train as well as the most wealthy, 
high IQ, high literacy person. And so then you wind up with this very interesting design challenge that comes in where you're trying to bring everybody along. I'd imagine the, the roles and the briefs that PwC Experience Centre is getting is from a mix of people inside different companies. And when we were, listeners, when we were doing our pre-conversation, we were talking about what's some of the work that they're doing. And it seems that there's a speciality here regarding tools for internal tools for companies, B2B, but then it's also now evolving that you're showing that the sophistication of the capacity you've got, that that's becoming B2C. But I want to stick on the B2B side for a little while because those tools need to be able to go and report across the organisation. So they have to work enterprise-wide. They also have to work down in the yep. enterprise and they need to work up. Completely. Because if management and the senior executives and the board can't get a dashboard that's telling them how they're progressing and what, and what um, health state they've got in their, in their system, then they're going to look and say, why are we investing all this money? So help us out with a little bit of the journey that you've had. Because yep. I know that we've spoken about some clients who are really tech savvy and others that are still oh, struggling. Not really. <laughs> Completely. In, in the past lens I've been working for, uh, it was all about an internal tool. And first, of course, we have to convince the board that uh, this, uh, um, this project is worth their time and money. So what we do is we expose the methodology, we make sure that they understand and they're not always very aware or of what methodology we're using, how it's gonna work. So it's kind of a blurry step for them uh, to see where it's heading to. But then throughout the research, throughout all the users we're meeting, and for this project it was all over Europe, they tend to understand what is the value of uh, the time we're spending on the, on the road, the time we're spending in front of their user. And then we have, at the end of this research phase, we have this step where we have been collecting all the data and we give it away and this can start to appropriate the data. And that's a key step for them because they need to understand the needs we've been grasping to make sure that the transformation they're going through is the right one. And that's what the research phase will use for. And, and so that's really interesting that you've spoken there about the, the pitching and, and proposition that needed to be made to the board. Yeah. So there's two ways that, that could work. One is that it's actually that the that you're having to go pitch to people who have asked for a solution yep. and, they're, and they're just kind of qualifying and understanding which solution works. The other one is that you're making a, say, a broad proposition for people who don't yet know that they need this. Both of those scenarios are expensive from the board's time and also expensive from the supporting organisation's time because you're having to go through advocacy and convincing people. Whereas in, in the podcast series, we've actually had uh, examples that have come from Nike and also New Balance. The board is actually demanding of the design facility. Yeah. They, they don't have to convince. What they have to do is perform. And so that's very interesting. If we, I think what we've got is that uh, you could say that Nike, New Balance and Adidas are, are the top of this uh, of the pile of people who are sophisticated in the boardroom from a design perspective. And the values that they've got, I think, are what 
everybody has to get to, which is when the board is asking the design professionals to go and perform harder, to perform better, then you've got an efficient scenario. But you're, you, you don't have that pleasure yet with, mm -hmm. the, with the mainstream of your clients. So you're having to go and actually provide a degree of uh, uh, proposing, explaining, yep. and then no doubt through the process, you also have to give them tools so they can understand where you're up to. Yeah, actually that's interesting because um, this first step is very pedagogical and it's very complicated for them because they have the choice to make between investing or keeping the old and, the old and traditional way. And it's demanding for them to go in the investment step because they need to make sure that they're choosing the right one. But they've been producing a lot of internal tools lately and they've been doing it the old way and they thought sometimes it was functional but now they're asking for an extra step. Yep. And that's what we're trying to provide them, this extra step. So it's interesting if people are actually trying to get you to do a digital yesterday or a digital tomorrow. Exactly. And, and as soon as you get, get into that language, it's very hard for them to say, uh, we want to invest in a digital yesterday, <laughs> which was really what we've seen uh, for a lot of the last 20 years has been people actually have made yesterday's system in a digital format, yep. which means that the user interface is all broken because it was structured a particular way because of the facilities that are available. Most of those steps could be taken out today mm -hmm. in most workflows, in most uh, customer experience journeys. And that's where a team like yourselves is so important to come in to say, well, let's reimagine what the, what the original need was. Yep. Let's imagine what the goal of the customer is what is the service that the organization is prepared to go offer? What is the interchangeable technology that will exist over, over a one to three year period? How do we then make sure that that experience that we're creating is elastic enough to deal with changing technologies that come through? And then we can come up with a framework which says, here is the customer journey that will last for the next one to three years that serves the customer's interest, serves the company's interest and is resilient from ever-changing technology. Yeah, that's what we do actually. We're guiding them because they're rushing into transformation. They suddenly, uh, they suddenly woke up and they suddenly realize that they're late in their uh, in their own sector. Uh, they're late because they're uh, uh, in a way that they're um, just being uh, put under pressure by the whole transformation. So they're rushing towards it. And what we say is, wait. Yes, you need to work towards transformation, but you need methods for that, and you need a clear way, and that's what we're going to provide you, is to say, we're going to provide you an understanding of users that you've never had before. We're going to provide you clear methods, because creativity, yes, it can come in a very, um, in a very uh, uh, exploded way and in a, a very like a, um, surprising way, but it needs a bit of methods. And not, met, not the type of methods that you're relying on and forgetting the rest, but just some key tools of understanding and key methods to go uh, grasp the right needs of the user. So listeners, I'm, I'm not sure if Nadeem has gone off and, and has listened to a, a, a range of the podcasts in the past and he's picked up one of my core themes there on being late. But there's a smile on my face because late is a very interesting concept when it comes to digital transformation and, and design. If, if you think that you're ahead, you actually relax. Yes. If you think that you're late, there's an urgency to what you're doing. 
And so if we were Olympic athletes and we were trying to go and actually win a gold medal at the next Olympics, we'd imagine that we were late. The worst thing that we can do is think that we're ahead because if you're ahead, you get caught. If you're late, you catch up. Mm. And even if you're in the top two or three in the world, if you think that you're late, you will strive harder. Yeah. So, there's, so there's people who are very late and they need to make a quantum leap and there's other people who have to need to be ever vigilant to find their personal best, to keep driving and striving to, to, to wind, work out what's next. And actually, I've been working in L'Oreal as an intern a few years ago, and I found their mindset very interesting because they're not late, they're ahead, but they're all uh, pushing towards the company to make people feel that they are late. So it's interesting because they're reversing the whole mindset of the company to make sure they're staying in the late mindset while they're not. And if you look at uh, their uh, business performances, but they know that the whole situation can reverse, especially in Asia, where there's a lot of very strong local actors. So they're uh, staying in this position and this mindset saying to everyone, we're late. So... And so the team has just uh, given, given us insights to one of the most interesting parts around design in the boardroom is that it is such a strategic tool that most organisations don't want to talk about how they're doing it because they know that it's actually, at, at this point in time, it's their secret source. It's what's actually helping them to stay ahead. So what we tried to do with the series is actually not capture the individual tactics that people have and their individual strategies, but talking in general about how does the board become informed of the initiatives that they've pushed down to be doing things which are driven by design that are actually focusing on their customer. And that means that there's going to be a very different dialogue that's happening in design operations through to what's happening in the executive management, through to what's happening in the boardroom management in there. So Nadim, help me out with projects that you've been working on and the types of tools that you've created to help manage up so that people can understand the health and well-being of the experiences that you're creating. Yeah. Um, so we've been doing quite a wide range of different tools lately. One of the last one we did was for the hotel industry, for the hospitality business, and it was helping out a huge company uh, to um, help the hotel manager transform the way they work, uh, transform the way they operate their hotel, and uh, also help a whole group uh, um, achieve his transformation. So that was interesting because in the hospitality business, uh, there is a lot of disruptors uh, coming from all the different uh, sub-subjects sub, uh, sub of the hospitality business. So it can co comes from the uh, hospitality, like the renting industry. It can comes from the way to manage the hotel. It can comes from the whole uh, service of uh, um, uh, being in the hospitality business. So for example, inside the hotel, how do you provide the right experience to your, uh, to your customers? As somebody who spends far too many nights in hotels in a year, I think I can, after three days, I can explain the corporate culture of the hotel that I'm staying in based on the interactions that I've had. Really? You can tell, say the hotel I'm staying in at the moment, 
They don't give a damn about their customers. Really? Their customers are basically there to help them to earn some money, but it's nothing about the customers. It's a, it's a very small hotel and it's about them serving their needs in their life, not serving the customer's needs and getting the pleasure of means and wealth at the end okay. of that. So loyalty is the great, uh, is the great uh, lake of this. And, uh, yeah, and you can see it's a churn and burn. They don't expect to see their customers again and, uh, and, they're, and they're not happy in themselves. And so you're going, okay, that's, a, that's interesting. I said that. It's probably reflected the, the price point, but then they're right next to a chain, part of the Accor chain, And the property next door has m fantastic values. They, are, you know, they want to make sure that their customers are getting the experience that they paid for. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that's quite interesting that the, you know, it's the same geography, it's just the culture of the organization, and they're one door apart. On the street, and that's super interesting because uh, one of the key insights that I got from the past clients I've been working for is culture is key in a company, and actually that's why with the Experience Center right now we're directly addressing uh, the issue of culture because now more and more we're working uh, on the employee experience because as you mentioned for your uh, experience within this hotel you felt that these people working there weren't happy and. That's why we consider that a key part of the experience is uh, the whole employee part. How do they, uh, how do they feel? How do they experience their everyday work? Um, are they satisfied or not with it? Because it's going to have a huge impact on the way they deliver it. And and we see and, and I experience a lot of what I'd refer to as cultural apartheid in organizations and. Uh, I think when I see the, the staff that are cleaning my room or turning it over in the day, when they've got the same happy demeanor as the people on the front desk, I know I've got an organization that is interested in a good culture for their, for their staff. That's seldom. Most of the time there's, you'll find it stops somewhere between the front of house staff. As soon as you start to get to the people who are servicing the rooms, their demeanor changes, which means that it's a veneer of culture. It isn't actually integral to the organization. Mm -hmm. And, and the re listeners, the reason I've dug into this a little bit is to explore that idea of the veneer of digital transformation or the veneer of culture, because if it isn't deep and integral, people like me interacting with the organization will work out very quickly that maybe the, this organization doesn't have the cultural values that this organization strives for. And, and we often don't put you know, words to that. We, we sense it, we understand it, but more and more organizations are after cultural alignment yeah. because as uh, an, a mining uh, chief executive once told me, he said, you can have all the contracts that you like in the world, but when it comes down to it, the reason that your mine works is an agreement between two CEOs and if those two CEOs aren't seeing head to head the whole contract falls apart and it's just a declaration of war. Yeah actually I've, I've been experiencing that uh, in life because I've been living in China in Shanghai where I was studying about two years ago and the whole agreement contract is very interesting in China because it happens in the karaoke and it basically the, both of the CEOs are drinking 
in the karaoke until both of them are pretty drunk. And that's at this stage that the contracts get signed. So I, I used to do a lot of work in Japan. There was a period when I was making music video clips for boy bands, which um, I, I kind of feel out and proud now that I've, I've mentioned that. And uh, going to a karaoke bar and singing Jumping Jack Flash, that was the song they wanted me to go sing, so I had to do my best Mick Jagger. But the fact that I was prepared to do that, that was why I got the next gig. That was why they knew that I was actually joining them on a human journey, not just a commercial journey. And it's super interesting uh, related to culture because it's all about uh, proving that you're understanding the culture, uh, moving, like making a, a, a step forward uh, towards them, and you basically reduce the gap, we, the cultural gap that we have between uh, two countries, two continents, and that's making efforts to make sure that the business is running. And it's interesting, you know, through the Driven by Design Award programs, we see organizations that have fantastic recognition for their team and their suppliers when they're putting in a nomination and that they're acknowledging all the people, almost like a film credit, who's the team who's worked on it, and there's others who give no recognition to any staff members. And I can tell you the churn rate for the companies. I could, I think we could go get a data scientist to go and say, predict the churn rate in these companies yep. using industry standards, and we'd be pretty much able to work out who has a 40% churn rate per annum and who has a 20% churn rate on their staff. And it comes down to recognizing people in the culture of celebrating with people, or is it a veneer uh, that you've got in that, in that culture? They're very interesting elements because they're human moments. This isn't talking about technology. It's not talking even about transformation. It's talking about these human moments. And if you can't capture that human moment in your transformation, if you can't capture the human moment in the dashboard that you're feeding up to the board so that they understand why they're ahead, why they're behind, why they're running late, then they won't know what they have to invest in. In the pre-discussion, Nadim and I were talking about the idea about somebody who's involved with digital transformation or tech being actually sophisticated in design. And, and we spoke a little bit about the idea of if you're an athlete who is really good at running but you don't have mental, mental strength, when a second runner that actually runs next to you comes along, your head is going to break down in that in the final. Yeah. And so therefore, you're going to say, well, that's not a complete athlete. And I think we now see that there's enough people who have a good technology understanding. They have the empathy. They have the design, design skills that they don't necessarily have to be a craft-based designer, but they understand how to commission design teams and why it's important. They understand how to report up to the board and give the board enough transparency that they can see progress. And they also need to, they need to understand how to manage across the company so they're not seen to be a pioneer that's gone off into lone territory. You know, that complete stack of manager is needed so that there's going to be success and a, and a joint vision for how this digital transformation will benefit everybody in the company. Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine at, at, at PwC you're going to have a mix of clients who are at various stages of development. Over the next couple of years, you're going to see clients who are accelerating how they're building up those skills. And that must be exciting when you when you get on a project and you see a client who's actually they're more sophisticated than when you first met them, 
they're more sophisticated as they're going through the project, there must be a, a point of joy in that process. Completely, and for us it's key because uh, we've, we've seen that throughout the clients we've been working for, their clients we've been working for uh, two years, three years, five years ago, and it was at the very, um, it was at the very discovery step, and now that we're working with them to understand the way we work, the way we proceed, the mindset we ask them to have, and actually one of the clients I've been working for lately, it was a new client, and they told me you're very demanding. And we told them, yes, because that's just the start. And you'll see along the way that it's maybe just a change of mindset and maybe your teams and your product teams isn't ready to work the way we ask you to work. But it's, uh, we're both learning from each other and it's, just, it's not just what used to be the communication agency uh, style. It's not just us working for them and having to uh, uh, check, uh, tick the boxes um, and being only the one evaluated, what we do is we ask, we ask them to provide their part of the work to allow us to have the facilities and the mindset to move forward. And I suppose if we were Roger Federer and we were on the Grand Slam tour, we'd won a few Grand Slams and we then got in an expert coach to help us to, uh, maybe our game was becoming a little bit off it's not going to be pleasant when you get the expert coach in because you're asking them to come in to transform your game yeah. you're not asking them to come in and pat you on the back and say you're doing everything fine but there's a there's a there's a readiness that makes that either a magical moment or it will be a hard struggle because some people will push back They've been asked to go work with you as an organisation rather than wanting to work with you. So there's, there's going to be some very interesting management skills on how do you help them to go get the imagination and the excitement of growing and actually moving to that next level. Mm. And I'm sure that's part of the magic that PwC does. I'm not going to ask you how you go do that, but taking that person from being, this is painful, this is hard, into being excited because they know that going through this through this development will actually take them somewhere they couldn't take themselves. Yeah, actually, what is interesting uh, being part of PwC, because we used to be, before the Experience Centre, we used to be an, an independent agency called Neolit, and we've been acquired by PwC four years ago. But what is very interesting working as part of the network is to make sure that every discussion we're having with our clients goes to the boardroom. So, because you cannot drive uh, organizational change, you cannot drive a whole transformation uh, of culture, of mindset, of tools, of people, if you're not getting at this stage of the conversation. And that's make it even more interesting to say when it's someone from the boardroom saying, you're being very demanding. And we say, yes, but that means that we're working and you de uh, transformation is operating. Last week I had the pleasure of going to um, our Sparks and Honey and uh, we, were, we were talking there about the, the Q product and the insights that they go get and, and actionable intelligence that comes out from that. We were also talking about um, some, some studies that had come out of MIT. And what was interesting with that was that it came, it's come to the fore that if you have three digital savvy ex uh, uh, board members, 
that the company is going to accelerate through digital transformation faster. Having two doesn't get you there. It's having three, and this is out of a board of 12. So what that means is that you need to have several voices who are saying, take us further into tomorrow yeah. and take us faster into tomorrow. If you've only got one proposition that's gone to the CEO and then it's gone up into the board, it's unlikely to go have complete understanding and therefore the energy of the board to support it through creating the, me uh, the resources, creating the time priorities for it to occur and also supporting it through what is when a new initiative happens, it takes a while to get up to momentum. You can give them all the reporting tools in the world, but if they didn't want the outcome in the first place, it's going to be a challenge project. So it's great to hear that your culture has been how do you go get the board behind the initiative because board-sponsored transformation winds up going all the way through because yep. the board also wants to change the culture to enable a transformation. And you said voices, I would say allies because that's what we're looking for. It's creating allies all over the different organization and being an allies mean you understand uh, the, um, the, the, the impact design can have on business performance. You understand what it implies within the organization and basically you drive the transformation in a direction that makes sure that design is at the core of the boardroom but is embracing the whole teams. And what we've seen lately is that you can have uh, design in the boardroom, but no one in the operational level, so no one making sure the design, uh, the, the, the design thinking is getting uh, applied all over the organization. You can have people in the operational level but they're missing the alleys in the boardroom, so they feel that their voices are unheard. And you can have uh, external people helping you out, but if you're not in the design mindset, that you're, you don't understand what's being told to you, so you're almost um, ignoring these design voices getting to you and you're just not applying them because they doesn't fit your, uh, the way you think and the way you structure your thinking. Nadeem, it's been fantastic to go and explore with you how that full stack needs to occur from the boardroom down through the uh, C-suite, through the executive management, out through the operational management, down to the people who are executing and out, out to the customer experience. I'm humbled to be able to be brought here into, into the into the the palace of experience that PwC has made. I'm happy that you came over. It's a Thank it's you a pleasure. for your time. No doubt this will be the first of a couple of conversations we'll have on this topic. So I appreciate your time. Thank you, Mark.